Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, your source of news, interviews and comments on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence, brought to you by TCT Magazine. I'm your host, Sam Davis, and today's focus is once again on design for additive manufacturing, as I'm joined by Metafold CEO Alyssa Ross. Metafold is a developer of Design for AM software, with cloud-based and API products being offered to users of 3D printing. The company is harnessing the founder's collective knowledge across mathematics, design and 3D printing to address challenges in the development of additively manufactured products. Throughout our conversation, Ross provides insight on the key capabilities of Metafold's software products, while also touching on the company's latest funding round and the product features being introduced in the coming weeks. She also offers her thoughts on the challenges and opportunities around design for AM, including the prospect of industry-wide knowledge share. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more additive insight, head on over to tctmagazine.com where you can subscribe to the print edition of TCT Magazine and our weekly additive insight newsletter for free. Alyssa, you and your fellow Metafold founders have worked in lattices and, and geometries for many years, carrying out research, working in consultancy, and you yourself have a particular interest in mathematics. Why is the additive manufacturing industry the best place for you and your team to apply that collective knowledge? Yeah, I guess this comes back to almost the origin story of the company, actually, which is that we were working in consultant consulting. So my, my co-founder Daniel and I were both mathematicians working in geometry consulting, doing projects in architecture, engineering, scientific software all over the place. And typically our deliverables were software. So people would call us when they had reached the limitations of their, their CAD tools for very complex projects, often in architecture. But we got working on a project in 3D printing, and it was with a large uh, consumer goods manufacturer who was doing a very ambitious project in 3D printing. And it really opened our eyes to the opportunities of 3D printing and also the challenges. And in particular, the fact that there really wasn't any good software on the market at that time that uh, could take advantage of the, the geometric opportunities of 3D printing. And so, um, you know, these the the existing CAD tools were, were totally inadequate, and in particular for for using lattice structures. Uh, and I do want to emphasize that we do a lot more than lattices, but this is indeed how we got our start. Uh, and this goes back to um, you know really converting what is abstract mathematics into something that is quite material. And that was what got us really really excited about working in three D printing. This concept that it, that these shapes, these forms that had only really existed in abstract mathematics could now be tremendously useful in in real world applications. In in this case, it was a consumer good, uh, but 3D printing was the delivery mechanism of that mathematics. And so we got really excited about the opportunities there and uh, really excited about filling that gap and solving a much bigger problem in the consulting work, you work with one person at a time, you solve the problem and it's very rewarding, but we felt there was a bigger opportunity to move more engineers through the space and take advantage of the opportunities of 3D printing. Okay, so obviously you, you have that knowledge, you've identified a, a problem. 
how do you go about, I guess, formalizing an idea in terms of how to perhaps solve that problem? And what do you see as kind of the the motivations and the um, aims and objectives of the company at that point? Yeah, so at that point, it was a bit of a perfect storm because we had this insight from our consulting work. And then my co-founder, Daniel, and I, we were joined by another person, Tom, who came with a whole bunch of expertise in actually building 3D printers and doing the 3D printing itself. And we kind of put these things together. So there was the mathematics, there was the computer science, if you like, and there was this very hands-on 3D printing stuff. And we actually built a printer. That was how it all began. We built a 3D printer. Uh, The objective was to print millions and millions of unit cells um, because, you know, lattices don't really become meaningful until you have a high volume of cells. And uh, we started printing these amazing things, but also realized that, um, you know, we we didn't want to be a hardware manufacturer. We looked around and there were so many good hardware manufacturers around that we decided to focus on our strengths, which were on the, the software side. And really, um, the bigger motivations there, there's sort of two parts to it. One is very idealistic, which I've already kind of highlighted. This is the idea of really helping people make the most of 3D printing. And, uh, you know, likely your listeners will be familiar with this concept that in 3D printing, complexity is free. And I think anyone who's tried to do anything with 3D printing knows this is actually not true. Um, It's very, very hard to realize complex structures, but we again, idealistically, we want to make this as close to true as as possible. Uh, And so we really want to be this kind of geometric infrastructure for 3D printing, uh, thinking about how to solve the hard problems so that people can get on with their application-driven development. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. And then the second second part of our motivation is to be a little more tactical, uh, which is to help people move from a prototype phase to a product. This is another theme we saw at the time where, where engineers and researchers are doing these incredible prototypes and proofs of concept, which take advantage of all of the capabilities of 3D printing, but they weren't able to convert those into a product because of scale and because of these geometric bottlenecks, basically. So we wanted to help people actually move those phenomenal innovations into the market. Mm-hmm. So I guess kind of what we're talking about here is a, a helping people kind of understand geometry is better and lattices better and then apply that and I guess that comes into you know design for additive manufacturing and the I guess the there's there's challenges there and there's opportunities there on the on the challenges what do you you and your co-founders what do you as a team see as the the specific issues that need addressing to help people get the most out of 3d printing technology yeah, um, there are there are a lot of issues. Uh, I think if I could highlight or focus on three, it would be how to design the complex structures, how to how to design um, digitally these these structures. Because it's not obvious you can do that with conventional software. Second point is how to analyze or simulate the physical behavior of the printed parts before you manufacture them. Uh, and then the third part is how do you communicate that high complexity geometry to 3D printers? So on the DFAM side, I mean, there's many other challenges, but on the DFAM side, I see those as being three of the critical critical challenges. And we we try to address all three, although it's clear that there's there's no silver bullet. 
It's also, uh, you know, we can occasionally get sort of stuck in software space and it's always humbling to, to go and produce physical parts and recognize all the other challenges involved in that process. But, um, you know, we try to be truly uh, provide a, a great design option for people who want to push the boundaries of what's possible with additive um, simulation. We really need a different approach for the high complexity structures because conventional finite element analysis typically doesn't doesn't work for the really complex shapes that we're, uh, you know, able to design. And then communicating them to the printer, I think many of us will have had an experience where we create an STL file and it's absolutely massive. And then trying to run it through any kind of slicing or pre-processing just takes forever or actually doesn't complete at all. So those are the kind of three parts of the uh, the puzzle that I see as being critical. Okay, and, and obviously solving those those issues is, is partly the responsibility hopefully of, of Metafold uh, 3D, sorry. And this year I, I, I kind of identified two um, milestones um, as it were, the first of which is graduating from the Creative Destruction Lab uh, Seattle Manufacturing Stream. So can you tell us about this initiative and, and what I guess the business has, has gained from participating in it that will help you kind of progress in, in terms of addressing the, the challenges that you just outlined? Yeah, Creative Destruction Lab was an excellent experience and I highly recommend it for early stage ventures in this space or, or really any space. The, the, I guess the tagline of it is this idea of peer reviewed objective setting. So they admit a cohort of ventures and then the ventures are, uh, you know, interact with this handful of, of mentors who, who truly are seasoned in their respective fields, who've built businesses, who've invested in businesses, who have just all kinds of different experience. And those mentors as a group determine objectives for the company at key points throughout the year. And this is really enlightening to me, I think in particular, because, uh, you know, I am a very technical founder, as are my two co-founders. It's really easy for us to get caught up in the math and the technology and the details and how cool the tech is. But we've got to work on the business. And, uh, and truly, that is actually the hardest part of our journey so far has been how to convert truly what we think is truly incredible technology into something that is commercially viable. Mm -hmm. um, and so this was something that Creative Destruction Lab was really helpful for. Um, it also has a, a competitive element. So I, I don't know how many applicants there are, but there are 20 ventures that start the program. And then after every session, there's sort of only so many that progress. So it was, it was, um, yeah, it was nice to, to, to continue through the whole program. And I would also highlight the, uh, the amazing cohort of companies that went through the program with me. So um, Trio Labs, um, and also Phase 3D and 1000 Kelvin. I, I loved getting to know those those founders and those companies who are truly doing interesting things in the, the additive space. And um, you mentioned there, you know, kind of focusing on, on the business. Another another of the milestones this year has been raising $1.78 million, um, which is obviously going to, you know, help you kind of meet those aims and objectives that we, we, we talked about. What can you tell us about how that that cash injection is going to be used within Metafold. What you know, what areas will that will that go towards? Will it be tech development? Will it be kind of building the workforce? Where exactly will you apply that that investment? Yeah, it's a it's a bit of both. Um, not surprisingly, so 
Our technical team is really amazing and we're able to use the funds to expand the team so that we can continue our kind of first principles attack on some of these problems. Um, critically, we're going to be releasing a simulation module and so we were able to make some key hires that were helpful on that side of things. And then on the kind of more commercial side, uh, building out our, our go-to-market strategy, uh, and I can get into this a little bit in terms of our product offerings, but talking about um, you know, how we actually bring this product into the market and uh, um, through, through actually marketing, through the, the free tier of our software, through our API licensing, and also through partnerships. So those are kind of some of the key, key priorities that we'll be using those funds to uh, focus on. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and let's discuss the software platforms um, that Metafold is, is developing and, and offering. What would you see as, I guess, the, the key capabilities um, that are available to end users through um, Metafold 3D's product offering? Yeah, so at the core, we are developing a geometry kernel, and it's a cloud-based implicit geometry kernel, which basically means that we're handling geometry implicitly. So in a very rough sense, you can think of this as we we deal with geometry by equations, not by kind of trying to capture the surface as in a triangle mesh. And we're also a true web service. So this is one of our fundamental um, offerings. We do something called geometry streaming. We're trying to get results from the server at interactive rates. So trying to make geometry happen on the web very, very quickly. So that's kind of the the geometry kernel that we're building, and that's the the fundamental. But that powers two products, um, which is how we deliver that kernel to the end user. So the first is the the Metafold platform. This is a a web app. And then the second is our API. Um, So in other words, we're building this this kernel and the delivery mechanism, which are the the platform and the API. On um, On the platform side, this is a web application, actually anyone today can go and sign up for a free free account on the app and give it a shot. Um, but it, it has uh, a bunch of capabilities for handling really high complexity geometry. So unsurprisingly, we have a lattice library um, of beam, li- beam types and surface types. We also have a little recommendation engine, which helps people select a lattice type. We can do all kinds of um, robust Boolean operations on that geometry really precise shelling operations, uh, functional grading, conformal mapping is a a really popular feature because it allows you to map very complex geometry to the surface of your part. Uh, And we also have some options for sharing that geometry. So we make it super easy for people to create the geometry and then share it either by sharing a viewer link online or sharing links directly to download uh, various exports of the geometry. And then maybe the last part that I would mention here is that we have some direct to print capabilities. So the ability to skip over any kind of meshing step, um, eliminate the very cumbersome STLs that can come from some of these uh, high complexity structures and, um, and get right to the printer. So we're really excited about that. Uh, and then on the API side, Everything that is available in the, the front end on the on the web app, you can get this via API. So this is super useful for customers who are building their own applications. So it could be, for example, a service bureau who wants to add lightweighting capabilities to their online quotation tool. And now they basically can supercharge their 
their geometry processing capabilities on their website using our API. So we see this as saving a huge amount of developer time and also kind of empowering those customers to do more development in-house when they would have had to ex uh, hire expert consultants otherwise. Um, so those are the, the two, two um, products. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there. Okay, so on the um, on the Metafold platform, um, yeah. you mentioned the the library of of performance geometry. Can you tell us a bit more about the I guess the development of that geometry? You know, who is the developer of that geometry? Are people able to kind of contribute to that? And I guess how much exploratory work are users able to do outside of that library? Can that then be brought into that library? What's the process there? Yeah, I mean, this is this is what is so exciting about it. This is, um, you know, as a mathematician, this is the part of the process that gets me the most excited. So we had access to an incredible uh, library of lattices, so over 17,000 types. And with this, we, we distilled this down into just a handful that we expose in the app. So it's very curated, uh, but you actually have access to all of those types via the API. Um, and so one of the observations we made was simply that this space of lattices can be really overwhelming for people. They don't know what to use for their application, which is part of why we wanted to make this very simple recommendation engine. It, um, it just makes very, you know, asks a series of simple to answer questions about the type of forces you're expecting on your part, and then we'll make some recommendations based on that. So it's not high precision, but it can get you going. Um, and then, of course, people can also bring their own geometries into the app as well. So you can import your own custom cells. So we've had people actually create lattice unit cells that have their logo in it, which is very cool to see. Other times people have actually patented structures that they want to use and they want to bring this in and use it. And that's um, something we're really excited about. But truly, as I said, this is the part that's really exciting. The, the possibilities here are really endless. Um, I mean, the space of lattices is so rich, literally infinite. Uh, and so whether it's stochastic types or whether you're tuning for particular wavelengths, all of that is something you can um, you can explore in the app. And we're really excited actually to support researchers who are doing fundamental metamaterials research right in the app um, to, to you know, do that geometry variation and explore the, the resulting material properties. So really excited about um, having people bring their own geometry and also in some early discussions about, you know, incorporating other lattice libraries right into the app as well so that people can have validated material performance in the app. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of the, the, I guess, the products that you've got there, the, you know, the, the platform and the API, what at this stage do you feel are the kind of the next capabilities that you want to explore and, and kind of develop to you know further support your user base? Yeah, so I guess one of the observations from uh, our customers is that depending on where people are in their, I guess, additive manufacturing journey, they want uh, often quite an end-to-end -end solution. So I think, uh, and this is one of the reasons we actually chose the cloud platform, is that we're able to integrate very well. So we can integrate upstream with existing CAD tools, we can integrate downstream with, with printers. And I think these kinds of partnerships are actually critical to helping the end users really um, you know, go faster with additives. So those, those can be very empowering. And then the second uh, thing that I think 
is really critical to a lot of users and something we'll be rolling out um, and it will be making more of an announcement in this about this in several weeks, but is a simulation module. So we're really excited about that, helping people get more information about their parts before they print. And uh, it's, it's so critical, especially with these high complexity structures to have alternatives to existing simulation um, solvers. So ours is, will be meshless, it'll work on our geometry representation and something you can do right inside the app. Mm -hmm. As a uh, general question, taking everything into account, what's your assessment of the competency of, of design for additive manufacturing knowledge across the, the industry at the moment? Yeah, it's it's coming along. Um, I love to see a lot of ambition here. Uh, engineers who are really, really rethinking everything when it comes to manufacturing, when it comes to additive, but that is also um, a little, you know, hard to unpack, I guess. Um, I know um, I've heard this expression before that MFAM, so Modify for Additive Manufacturing, um, exists so that, uh, so design for additive can, can really get rolling. And I, I like that. I think it's a very practical approach. I would say, though, that we're interested in empowering a bigger movement, I guess, to additive to solve some of the, the really thorniest challenges involving sustainable manufacturing. So, um, for example, clean technologies that rely on very high surface area. This is something that's brand new. We don't have good uh, tools to design this, to simulate it, or to print it. And so we want to be those tools. And, uh, and I believe that um, similarly, I guess, in, in biopharmaceutical production, a lot of the time, uh, people rely on chemistry to to vary a, a form. Um, so like I'm thinking about stochastic foams or something like this. But you can really dial that in with additive manufacturing. We can we can really dial that in. So we're really excited about uh, engineers who are willing to take on that DFAM challenge to overcome uh, or I guess, you know, go up that learning curve for for uh, for making those parts. Mm -hmm. And you, you mentioned um... Well, we've talked about lattices throughout, and you mentioned before a a kind of library of, of 17,000 lattice types. Um, and I wanted to kind of go into that a bit deeper because from what I know of other platforms, uh, you know, some some software platforms on the market today have a few kind of lattice types, and I'm talking a handful. So in terms of the use of lattices in additive manufacturing and in, in terms of real-world products that are out there, how 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 much more scope is there for, for things to get better there in terms of our, I guess, collective knowledge of them and then the application of them? And is it a case at the moment where people are using the lattices available to them rather than the, the lattice that makes the most sense for the application, if that makes sense? It does make sense. And yes, I think that is exactly what's happening that, um, you know, I love a gyroid. We all do. But <laughs> there's so much more beyond the gyroid. Right. And uh, it's. I think a question of having the tools uh, to really explore that space of lattices. Uh, and up till now, indeed, there have been kind of only a handful of lattices that have been well used. And I mean, partly for good reason. There's some of these lattices, which like the gyroid, actually, which has so many applications. It's so efficient as a structure. Um, it, there's good reason for it to be popular, but there's a lot more. And so um, 
even for the heat exchange application where the dry road has been used a lot. I mean, there are other surface lattices with higher surface area, maybe they're better, um, but this is kind of untapped green space in my view. It, it just has not been explored enough. So um, part of our goal is to give access to those shapes, make it much easier to explore them. Another another question, just looking generally at the, the industry, in terms of um, DFARM design for additive manufacturing, a lot of people consider it to be this um, enabler that, you know, if you design for the process, you'll be able to get, um, you know, a better performing process, a lighter weight process, uh, a lot of weight uh, part, I should say, rather than process. Um, do you consider it to be that enabler or do you also perhaps see it as a barrier? If I'm thinking of, of somebody who's new to additive manufacturing technology and now they have to kind of consider all of these new design principles and best practices, that might put people off and might kind of you know, it might seem as though it's this big hurdle to them. How would you view that? Is it an enabler or is it a barrier? Yeah, I guess I I always see opportunity. I see the I see the potential here more than the the downside. And it, one of the things about this um, this concept that it's a barrier, I think that sort of bothers me actually, is that before design for additive manufacturing, we had design for manufacturing. It's just mm -hmm. that we're used to it. We know what that looks like and our tools support it really well. So uh, I think design for additive is new and people need to understand that there, there's some learning to do there, but I don't think it's so complex that it's unmanageable. And that is indeed one of our objectives to make these tools a little bit more user-friendly, to empower people to actually create their own tools, use their own lattices, things like this. Um, and, and also just, yeah, increase access to the the DFAM tools. So, and that's part of the, again, going back to the cloud, um, make it really easy for people to get access to these these tools. But I see a lot of opportunity um, and that's really what we are trying to encourage people to to make use of with with our software. Like how, how do you take advantage of 3D printing to its maximum by, um, by doing design with additive in mind? I think, you know, it's well understood at this point in time that additive is not going to replace conventional manufacturing. And almost always, if you just try to manufacture additively a, a conventionally manufactured part, it almost never wins from a, from a cost or uh, from a cost perspective. But if we optimize for additive, we can really see some dramatic, uh, dramatic improvements. Mm -hmm. And in terms of, um, you know, people needing to, to learn these these new principles for, for designing for additive manufacturing processes are do you see that there's a you know across the border a willingness to do that learning is there is there some kind of um persuasion that has to go on to kind of uh educate them to to see that it you know it's a, a thing that they can benefit from it isn't just a you know a load of learning that they have to do a load more learning that they have to do when they feel like they've you know they've done all of that and other they're working as, a, as an engineer and as a designer and you know they should know enough because they they are paid to do that job so how right. can people get better at designing for these technologies and, and is there a kind of a willingness does there need to be a willingness for you guys to kind of you know bring them along and, and take them with you yeah it's it's a good question and i think this goes back to where people are in their additive journey mm -hmm. and um, there's no kind of one answer here. I think a, a critical idea, though, is that people, um, that you need to be willing to put aside your preconceptions about what a part should look like uh, or or how it should be manufactured. Um, 
a lot of those ideas are determined by by the tools we have for manufacturing or the tools we have had for manufacturing and including like the physical tools that make things and also the digital tools that support those those physical things. So, so much of our concepts of what parts should look like are formed there. And I think the first step in learning DFAM is to kind of put some of those things aside. Um, and I guess, yeah, definitely with some of our customers, they they need a lot of proof before they're willing to um, to make the leap to additive. Uh, but this, I almost think this comes down more to the interface between the the design for additive and the the business case, right? Like how do you how do you make sure that uh, it actually makes sense from a business perspective? Because no one's no one's adopting additive out of the goodness of their heart. They need to adopt it because it it truly makes sense from a business perspective. And in fact, that's where I think design for additive shines. It can highlight the true capabilities of additive to um, to achieve these process improvements and truly optimum parts. Mm-hmm. And in, in terms of design for additive manufacturing and, and everybody getting better at it and learning more about it, what are your thoughts on kind of knowledge share and, and, and initiatives around that? How how helpful are they, do you think, in, in theory? And, and I guess how likely do you think it is that people will kind of forego IP and and decide to, you know, kind of support others in their use of AM by by sharing their their knowledge, perhaps their kind of, you know, maybe they've got a a cool new lattice structure that they might want to keep for themselves. But if they sh- share that, you know, it, it kind of is for the betterment of all. What's your opinion on those kind of platforms and initiatives um, are they needed? Are they helpful? Yeah, it's um, it's a really good question, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, businesses will not forego IP if they see significant revenue potential there. It's just kind of the bottom line. But that's the thing: the additive industry is still a rel- relatively small market, and I I think that most players in the market acknowledge that, despite how exciting it is, uh, it's still on a on a growth trajectory. And um, with that potential in mind, many people, I think, understand that the industry moves forward when when AM adoption is increased overall. So I think these knowledge sharing initiatives are really important and really excellent for uh, increasing AM adoption. And in particular, those around um, how to communicate, how to communicate between software and hardware. Um, I think that's a very important link that needs to be strengthened. Mm-hmm. Um, my my final question, um, and thank you for your for your time today. To bring it back to to Metafold, what do you see as the the next steps for the company, and I guess what is the overriding vision for the company moving forward? Yeah, so um, we a few announcements will be timed around Form Next in Frankfurt this year. Coming up, we'll have a, a majorly overhauled um, UI on our web platform. Uh, with this concept of geometric presets, these are—it's uh, a way of actually simplifying further the workflows pr- for particular use cases to make it actually even more approachable to get get DFAM uh, easier and at the same time improving the reliability of the output. Uh, I've already mentioned as well a simulation module, which we'll be rolling out and building on in the in the years to come, actually. Uh, but zooming out. Our, our ethos at Metafold really centers around solving hard problems. This is true for me personally and my co-founders and my team. 
We love hard problems and we want to help our customers solve their hardest geometry problems and ultimately do the same for the whole industry. Uh, and, you know, I think our, our biggest aim, our big goal is to enable innovation with additive and to actually deliver on this idea that that complexity is free or at the very least to make complexity feel easy. So that's the big goal.